Hi there, and welcome back to Unknown Friends with me, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wham Productions. This is my book review or book discussion podcast where I take a book I just finished reading and share its basic plot summary, its characters, and a bit about the author. And my favorite part, delve into the book's themes a little and analyze how true or helpful I think they are. I welcome discussion. If you perhaps disagree with my opinion of a book, I would love to hear from you. And perhaps you have some thoughts to offer that haven't even crossed my mind and I could learn from you. Um, the great conversation is what literature is all about. And so while the format of a podcast like this is essentially a monologue, I really prefer dialogue. So always feel free to email me at kittywham, K-I-T-T-Y-W-H-A-M at gmail.com. And I would love to converse with you about books I've reviewed on the podcast or other books that you might share with me. And if you enjoy my podcast and can bring others into the conversation as well, please share my book reviews with a friend who is interested in stories and ideas, and that way we can extend this exchange of thoughts among more people. That's what it's all about. All right, I have got a lot of things to say about today's book, so there is no time to waste. This, of course, is episode number 27, just three more episodes to go after today to wrap up season one, and the book I'm reviewing this week is the 2004 novel Hannah Coulter, written by Wendell Berry. Now, Wendell Berry is a Christian American writer. He was born in 1934, so he is 86 years old, and he's been writing since the 1950s. He's a poet, um, an essayist, short story writer, and novelist, and he has published more than 40 works in total throughout his lifetime. He's also an environmental activist and a farmer. He's lived with his wife, Tanya, on their homestead in Kentucky for more than 50 years, since 1965. And on top of that, he has at various times served as an editor and as a writing professor at a couple universities. Now, Wendell Berry's fiction is interesting in part because most, if not all, of his stories center on one fictional place, the imagined town of Port William, Kentucky. So he's written at least eight novels that consider this place and its community from different angles, from the perspectives of different inhabitants of Port William. So a minor character in one novel might be the main character in the next. But they all kind of overlap and they combine to present a well-rounded portrait of this little rural community in Kentucky. And this approach of Barry's makes a lot of sense when you learn that the idea of place is absolutely central to his work and his worldview. Rootedness um, and the responsibility of humans to live in one place and love it informs, from what I understand, pretty much everything that Wendell Berry writes. It's certainly key in his novel, Hannah Coulter, which is the only one of his books that I have read so far. As I mentioned, Hannah Coulter is one of his more recent publications. It came out in 2004, and it's the seventh novel in his, uh, you could call it a series, about the town of Port William. Now, Berry's first novel, 
which was published in 1960, is titled Nathan Coulter. And in this, the fictional world of his novels, Nathan is Hannah's husband, her second husband. Uh, so it's interesting that Wendell Berry returned over 40 years after his debut novel about Nathan and told Hannah's story from her point of view. So what is Hannah's story? The novel Hannah Coulter is narrated by Hannah herself as an elderly woman, twice widowed, and she just tells the story of her life from the time she was a little girl during the Great Depression. Her mother died when she was young, and her father soon remarried, and her stepmother was all that stepmothers often are in stories. She did not really love Hannah, nor did she love, really, Hannah's father. But Hannah's grandmother lived with the family, and she kind of became Hannah's mother. She loved Hannah and taught her all the things a housewife and homesteader needed to know, and she made sure her granddaughter got a good education through high school. Then when Hannah graduated, her grandmother wanted her to have all the opportunities she could, and so she helped Hannah move to the town of Port William to find work there and a better community. And that's what Hannah finds. She boards with an old friend of her grandmother's, Ora Findlay, and becomes acquainted with Miss Ora Findlay's family, including a young man named Virgil Feltner. So Hannah and Virgil start courting and eventually marry, but shortly after that, America enters World War II, and Virgil is called into military service. Uh, and honestly, I, I don't think I'm spoiling anything to say what I'm about to say, because you get the sense that this will happen from the very beginning of the book. Virgil dies in the war, and Hannah is left a young widow with a baby daughter, Margaret, uh, to care for. Her in-laws, the Feltners, are wonderful and have totally incorporated her into their family as a daughter, but of course Hannah has to cope with the grief of losing her husband, um, and having a child to raise honestly helps her cope with that um, and move on. And eventually, a few years after Virgil's death, another young man, Nathan Coulter, who also fought in the war but survived, starts to express interest in Hannah, and they soon marry and start their own life together in the Port William community on their own homestead. So Nathan helps raise little Margaret as his own daughter, and he and Hannah have two sons together as well, Matthew, or Matty, and Caleb. And Hannah continues her story describing their community life, the way they raised their children, and eventually the way their children all left for college and never came back to build their own lives in Port William. They each marry, they find work elsewhere, whatever the case may be. Um, but ultimately, Hannah and Nathan seem to be the last of the Coulters who will be living and farming in Port William, Kentucky. Now, the novel does end on a note of hope for continued community and a Coulter family legacy that will perhaps endure through the generations after all. Uh, but the specifics of that I won't spoil. You'll have to read it for yourself. But there, there is a possibility of a future on Hannah and Nathan's farm after they pass away. So this book is somewhat unique in the sense that it doesn't rely on plot twists or, or major conflict to develop its storyline and its themes. It just comes across as a simple story, 
straightforward and unpretentious, but lovely in its simplicity. It's just the story of a life, a good life, uh, touched by many sorrows and losses, yes, but a life lived in a good place among good people. Now, there's, there's a rich beauty to this, I think, and a lot of truth embedded in this um, view of life. I want to try to give Wendell Berry full credit where I can, because um, in a minute I'm going to get into some very deep concerns I have with this book and his worldview. But first, let me acknowledge some of the true things he is connecting to in this story of Hannah Coulter. I think in many ways he's responding to some serious errors in the modern secular way of life, and he makes some great points. So, number one, Wendell Berry and his character Hannah Coulter are committed to place and the idea of dwelling in a single place and cultivating it. You know, we have this mobility in modern society that often prevents us from really putting down roots anywhere, and that does tend to make us shakier people. It destabilizes us personally to be frequently moving to different places, and more importantly, it tends to prevent the development of lasting community. Yes, you can maintain relationships with people over distance, but it's so much easier to bond with people when you're physically present with them. So if you're constantly relocating, you're constantly restarting the process of building friendships with people, and that's not the healthiest way to live. So place and community are inextricable for Wendell Berry. And while I do believe that a relationship can be maintained over distance, I don't know that relationships can be indefinitely maintained over distance. Over time, there is going to be a natural uh, disassociation that gradually, perhaps imperceptibly, happens when you try to maintain a relationship over distance. And you have to work really, really hard if you hope to counteract that natural disassociation. So I think he may take it a little too far, but I agree with Wendell Berry's basic concept that place and community are connected. Um, and because of that, there's a strong argument for putting roots down in one place and staying there. But there are further positive implications of this lifestyle, which I want to note before uh, turning and questioning Wendell Berry on some issues. The, the rooted life, and particularly the agrarian life that he advocates, does encourage good things like uh, simplicity. So it minimizes many distractions that weigh down a typical secular lifestyle, especially one crowded with modern uh, so-called conveniences and technology. Barry pictures a rural life that fosters an appreciation for the beauty of God's creation and good stewardship of it, as well as a strong work ethic and the habit of helping one another in community, of mutual um, giving and receiving, which is a beautiful picture of life. His ideal of farm life, um, or more generally of, of choosing a place to call home and staying there and investing there also depends on contentment. 
he strongly resists the notion that the grass is always greener on the other side. He says, he says, no, this, this is my place. And there is no better place than the place where I belong. So Hannah Coulter, in her narrative, frequently returns to the idea of giving thanks. Amid all her losses and difficulties, she comes back to gratitude again and again and never gives up on her home and her community. So all this, I think, is good, and it's a helpful pushback against our um, rootless modern culture. We tend to take everything for granted, we're often uh, lazy, we're discontent, we're overwhelmed with distractions from what really matters, and so we could use a good dose of, of some of these truths Wendell Berry is exploring in his fiction. However, despite all of that, I have a lot of problems with Wendell Berry's worldview. In the book, Hannah Coulter itself, I'm troubled by the fact that truth and falsehood are closely intertwined, um, and that makes it tricky to analyze. You, you have to try to extricate the true from the false, but they're tied together. They're, they're like braided in one of those, you know, 27 strand braids or something, uh, which is what makes it so difficult to discern where the true ends and the false begins in Wendell Berry's worldview. Um, so I think that intertwinedness also makes the story dangerous because as you're reading, it's all too easy to absorb some of the false along with the true without realizing what's happening. So, sorry, I'm talking in abstracts. What is the false in this story? This is an oversimplification, but just to get us started, I think my fundamental objection is that God does not seem to be the center of this worldview. Now, if Wendell Berry were a secular writer, of course I would expect that and wouldn't be as concerned by the, the near absence of God in the story. But Wendell Berry is a Christian writer, and yet the focus of his worldview at least in this book, is so much more on the creation rather than the creator. Yes, it's great to invest in an earthly place, to enjoy and steward God's gifts in nature and in the people around us, but that is not the point of it all. God is the point of it all. He is our strength and our, our satisfaction. His presence is our perfect dwelling place. His mind should inform all our choices and loves and hates and desires, and his eternal kingdom is what we should be investing in more than in any earthly place. But in Hannah Coulter, while, you know, God is mentioned, uh, church and prayer are mentioned, scripture is occasionally quoted, yet I see little evidence in the book that would suggest that relationship with God is the ultimate goal of life, as I believe it is. So what this amounts to is a worldview closer to paganism than Christianity. Now, paganism probably sounds like the, the ultimate insult from one Christian to another. It's not, at least I don't intend it as such. Um, I'm with C.S. Lewis in believing that a pagan or pre-Christian worldview provides much more fertile ground for Christianity than a secular 
uh, or post-Christian worldview. Now, <laughs> admittedly, secularism too does creep into aspects of Wendell Berry's worldview, but overall, I would say the strongest impression I got from reading Hannah Coulter was one of paganism. Um, unfortunately, I don't have time to get into a thorough definition of paganism, um, but I am using that term in a fairly literal sense, referring to uh, classical paganism before Christianity. It was a religious way of life, but often conflated divinity and nature. At any rate, the word pagan itself is important, and in the context of this discussion, a bit ironic. It comes from Latin and literally means country dweller or villager. Uh, and the Latin word for pagan actually derives from an older Latin word, meaning a region with fixed boundaries. So, ironically, a focus on dwelling in a particular place is actually inherent in the word pagan or paganism itself. Now, am I trying to conclude from that that it's a pagan thing to dwell in one place? No, most definitely not. What I'm trying to communicate is that Wendell Berry seems to be so focused on place that I think he loses sight a little of God himself, uh, which results ultimately in an almost pagan worldview. Uh, but I have to get a little more specific with this before I run out of time. I think Wendell Berry, in resisting the transience and mobility of modern society, actually becomes so fixated on trying to find permanence in this life that he loses the Christian vision of eternal life. So what I mean is that the lifestyle he advocates in Hannah Coulter feels very temporal to me, very earthly, um, and in the end, more fleshly than spiritual. Uh, and this is because, as I understand, and please, please communicate with me if you disagree, I want to hear it, but as I understand Barry's worldview, in it, God is neither the ultimate objective of a Christian life, nor its fundamental guiding force. I mean, perhaps perhaps Wendell Berry would state that God is the objective and guide of a Christian life, but if so, then I think some of his ideas about how God wants us to live are very wrong. So let me give some examples. I want to show how, in Hannah Coulter, I would argue the main characters demonstrate a fleshly, temporal, uh, pagan, if you will, mindset more than a Christian one. So right off the bat, I'm deeply troubled by the mindset on love portrayed in this novel. Perhaps it's well-meaning, um, but I think it's deeply misinformed. The love between Hannah and her first husband, Virgil, uh, did not really raise red flags in my mind. I, I didn't think it was, you know, an adequate portrayal of everything Christian love means, but I didn't notice at that point any uh, major flaws in Barry's portrait of love. With Hannah's second husband, Nathan, however, Wendell Berry seems to portray love between a husband and wife as rooted in desire. I don't think he would say desire is the, the full and complete definition of love. Uh, he seems to communicate that uh, commitment and faithfulness and care for one another are involved too, but he keeps bringing it back to desire as the thing that fundamentally binds Hannah and Nathan. 
And I do not think that is how Christian marriage is supposed to be structured. Christian marriage is modeled on the love between Christ and his church. So with each spouse um, sacrificing him or herself for the other, seeking the good of the other above one's own good. Sure, I mean, desire is involved in marriage, but Christ-like love, which says not what I want, but what is best for you, that's the foundation and essence of love between Christian spouses. And, and on a closely related note, I was troubled by the emphasis in Hannah Coulter on uh, the physical appearance of both Hannah and Nathan. Uh, Hannah describes him as a beautiful man and herself as a beautiful woman, and she says this, and I'm quoting here, A woman doesn't learn she is beautiful by looking in a mirror. She learns it from men. The way they look at her makes a sort of glimmer she walks in. That tells her. Okay, I have big issues with this. What notion of beauty are we buying into? Sure, the narrator's claim here is is true enough in the sense that this is how natural human beings behave, but it is not Christian. I mean, think about it. There are so many problems apparent in just these couple of sentences I quoted. Number one, Wendelberry, uh, or to be strictly accurate, the narrator, Hannah, is describing lust or something dangerously close and normalizing it. Just a paragraph or two earlier, she says that Nathan, uh, to whom at this point she's hardly even spoken yet, looks at her with purpose, whatever that means, and she says, uh, quote, It was not a look a woman would want to look back at unless she was ready to take off her clothes. Well, whatever kind of look Wendell Berry is describing here, it's not okay in this context. Uh, but number two, back to a woman knowing she's beautiful if men look at her in a certain way, that defines beauty in terms of physical appearance alone. And that does not accord with how God views people, and therefore how Christians should view people. I can't get into a whole explanation of, of real beauty, but suffice it to say, these statements in Hannah Coulter, I think, are way off base. I, I'm deeply concerned when a Christian writer encourages us to evaluate and desire one another based solely on physical appearance. This is the kind of thing I mean when I say the characters demonstrate a fleshly mindset, a worldview that is not Christian. And there are other examples of an earthly mindset throughout the book that I can't even touch on, but if you read the book, I just encourage you to keep a sharp lookout for them. They're often very subtle. (sighs) I'm about to go over time, and I feel like I haven't even gotten started. Let me try to wrap up with this last um, objection to Wendell Berry's worldview, and it is connected to my previous comments. In Hannah Coulter, I believe he portrays human beings as both better than they really are and not as good as they can be. Uh, Or to to put that another way, I think he lacks insight into the human heart. He does not seem to understand, or at least his characters don't understand, the, the wrongness that we naturally incline to. Without God, we human beings are selfish. 
bent to go our own way, and that is the root cause of our problems in life. But I don't see this reality acknowledged in the way Wendell Berry portrays his characters. In his novel, uh, the goodness of people seems more or less natural, instead of finding its source in God. Uh, Hannah, for instance, harbors a grudge against her stepmother for years, but finally when she encounters her later in life, she has this sort of uh, instantaneous sense of pity for her, and a little later it just kind of occurs to Hannah that she has forgiven her stepmother. In that scenario, Wendell Berry first of all kind of excuses grudge-holding, and then he makes forgiveness this sort of spontaneous thing. I don't know even what caused it. But I don't think forgiveness works that way. At least in my experience, it usually requires God's help, but maybe I'm weird. Uh, or maybe maybe I'm misconstruing Wendell Berry here, and if so, please help me understand what he's really saying. Anyway, that is, that is just one example. Um, but on the flip side of that, and this is the last thing I want to say, Hannah Coulter also portrays human beings, I think, as less good and beautiful than I believe they really can be. Uh, this book settles. Example, the character Burley Coulter, Hannah's uncle, is held up as a pretty good guy with a lot of wisdom to share. He's kind of at the heart of the loving community of Port William and his kids and grandkids end up being pretty much the best people in the community. And yet, Burley has all kinds of problems. Most obviously, the fact that he never even marries the mother of his child. Is that the best we can do? I mean, I'm not saying he's a horrible person, necessarily, but it's false to suggest that he's a kind of paragon. And again, the root cause of this falsehood is... God is not as present in this story as I think he must be in a Christian worldview. It's only when we acknowledge him and define ourselves in relation to him that we realize how unlike him we naturally are, how mean and self-centered we can be without him. And on the flip side, it's only when we know him that we can start to become like him following his will, mirroring his love and joy and grace, and allowing him to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But in Hannah Coulter, no one is very bad or very good because people are evaluated without reference to God. Whereas C.S. Lewis, we're back to Lewis, I know, he just lays down the truth in mere Christianity when he says, and this is a quote, each day, we are becoming a creature of splendid glory or one of unthinkable horror. That's a worldview that sees what is unseen, that sees people as God sees them. And that vision is lacking in Hannah Coulter. I'm sorry, I've gone on too long. <laughs> I realize I have gotten more passionate with this discussion than I, I do in most of my episodes, but that's because the falsehoods in this book are so subtle and therefore dangerous. In a way, I think it's not as dangerous to read from a secular writer whom you know to be on guard against, but we tend to lower our guard when reading from a Christian writer, and that's why it so disturbs me 
to see a, a fundamentally misconceived worldview in a work by a Christian author. So I've been pretty hard on Wendell Berry, but I do not mean to trash him, honestly. Uh, remember my high praise earlier of many of the values portrayed in the novel Hannah Coulter, and as far as my criticism, I have expressed it pretty adamantly, but I am open to other viewpoints. I think he has a flawed understanding of love and the human heart, and he virtually loses sight of God in the midst of his emphasis on God's creation. But if you disagree with my take on Wendell Berry's worldview, feel free to email me at kittywham at gmail.com, and I will welcome your discussion. To wrap up quickly, next week in episode 28, I am delighted to at long last have a guest on the show with me again. My sister Lorraine is returning to discuss with me a novel by Virginia Woolf, Mrs. Dalloway. So I hope you tune in next Wednesday to hear her thoughts when she joins me on the podcast. Until then, have a great week and thanks for listening. <laughs>